last time in this last video, um, we're, we're kind of starting a series of videos again, where we're talking about Passover. And again, so many members are getting hung up because they're leaving the church, but they they feel convinced that the teachings of this uh, the world and society um, confirm that we need Passover for salvation. And so that's basically the point of this series of videos where we're trying to show that, no, actually the arguments they use from the Bible don't really hold water. They don't really stand up to scrutiny. Um, and so last time we talked about the seal of God study. <clears throat> and so if you haven't watched that, I would recommend you go back and watch that. Um, and uh, today uh, we're going to talk about a couple other points that um, Kelsey wants to bring up other uh, kind of popular uh, core arguments that they use to prove the Passover. And so we've, we mentioned, you mentioned briefly the weeds and wheat. And so maybe quickly explain that. And then kind of like after having talked through um, the, the seals study, um, I think you kind of mentioned before we started that you feel like that kind of causes the weeds and wheat study to kind of disintegrate. Like it kind of right. is already answered, but maybe kind of explain that. Sure. So like the Weeds and Weeds study is, um, let me find the verse really quick. It's in Matthew, Matthew 13. Yeah, Matthew chapter 13 and verse uh, 24. So if you see Matthew chapter 13 and verse 24 above it, it says the parable of the weeds, right? Okay, yep. So, um, uh, I'll start reading. Again, I have the NIV Bible, but it says, verse 24, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed his seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So it's explaining like a parable, right? That there's a man who went into his field to sow good seed. But while he and his, while he and everyone were sleeping, that's when the enemy came. And in that same field, sowed uh, weeds among the, the wheat that he had sown, mm -hmm. right? And then the enemy went away, right? Then it yep. says verse 26. When the weeds sprouted and formed heads, the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? So after the enemy went away, right, that's when the owner's servants asked him, like, you know, where did these weeds come from? Right. And then verse 28, an enemy did this. He replied, the servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. So before I get into verse 30, so um, just to kind of recap, again, there's a man who sowed good seed, which is the wheat, into his field. But after he and his servants went to sleep, there was an enemy who appeared in the same field and he sowed weeds among the wheat. Mm -hmm. So the next of the servants were like, the next of the servants were like, hey, do you want us just to go and pull up the weeds? And he said, no, let them coexist until the end of the harvest because um he says if you pull up the weeds you might uproot the wheat with them that's because like weeds and wheat when they're first like planted they look exactly the same so he doesn't so the the servant says wait until the end of the harvest that's when you see verse 30 it says let both grow together until the harvest at that time i will tell the harvesters first collect the weeds and tie them bundles to be burned then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn so he says, let these weeds and wheat exist in the same field until the end of the harvest, because at the end of the harvest, that's when the weeds will be gathered together to be burned. And then the wheat will be brought into the barn. Okay. Right. So this is a parable, right? Mm -hmm. Anybody can read this parable and try to interpret it their own way. But Jesus, it says in verse, um, same chapter 13, but above verse 36, it says um, the parable of the weeds explained. Right. So. Yep. 
Jesus explained what this parable is. In verse 36, he says, or the Bible says, Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. So this is the explanation Jesus gave, verse 37. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. So the man who went into the field to sow the good seed represents Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. Verse 38, the field is the world and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. So the field represents the world. So the man going into the field to sow the seed represents Jesus going into the world to sow the good seed, which stands for the sons of the kingdom. But how do people become sons of the kingdom? Through the gospel, right? So Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago, and he preached the truth. He preached the gospel. And when people accepted, which it wasn't that many at that time, they became sons of the kingdom. But then if you continue verse 38, it says, the weeds are the sons of the evil one. So just as people are made sons of the kingdom through the gospel, right? People are made sons of the evil one by following falsehood. And then verse 39, it says, the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. So the one who appeared after Jesus, right? Who came into the world after Jesus, sowing falsehood was Satan, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the harvest is the end of the age. Because remember at the end of the harvest, what's going to happen is that from the time Jesus sowed the, from the time that Jesus sowed the wheat and then the enemy sowed the weeds, right? Both the weeds and the wheat exist in that field until the end of the harvest. So in the same way, in this world, Jesus preached the gospel, right? And then who, then who came into the world? Satan. And then he preached, or he, he introduced falsehood, right? So truth and falsehood will coexist in the world until the end of the until the, uh, the the end of the harvest, which it says harvest is the end of the age, right? Okay. And the harvesters are angels. In verse 40, it says, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So they, so this explains that, you know, um, the weeds are those who follow the truth, right? They will be taken to the kingdom of heaven, but the weeds are those who follow falsehood and they will go into the fire furnace. They'll go to hell, basically. Mm-hmm. So the reason why this long explanation is short, yep. <laughs> I had to explain all of that to explain. Um, and I agree with all that. Like, I, so far, I have no yeah, problem. Because that's, that's how just, Jesus explains yeah, it. Yeah, it's just not what he said. <laughs> right. Right. That's, that's, that's not where the, that's not, this is where it goes astray. Okay. <laughs> So they say that after Jesus appeared, right, that's when the falsehoods start appearing, right? So they say any teaching that appears after the time of Jesus and his apostles, that's automatically falsehood, and anybody who follows it is going to go to hell. So they say, for example, Christmas. Christmas appeared in churches after the time of Jesus. They say Easter appeared in churches after the time of Jesus. Thanksgiving after the time of Jesus. So they, and then like the cross, right, keeping the cross inside or on top of churches after the time of Jesus, right? So they say these things are the falsehood, but they say, what did Jesus actually keep? He kept the Passover. He kept the Sabbath day. He kept the um, seven feasts and three times. But what I want to explain, like with that last video with the Passover, right? That Passover, as we saw, is not the way we can receive eternal life, right? Mm -hmm. It's by believing in Jesus, by having faith in Jesus. That's how we can eat his flesh and drink his blood. So that's in John chapter six, verse 35. 35. So, um, so 
Jesus, he never, he never said keep the Passover to receive eternal life. He kept Passover one time, mm-hmm. right? And that was right before he went went to heaven. So even at the time of Jesus, Passover was kept just that one time. Yep. Right? It wasn't kept consistently. So and even in despite that, again, right? Passover, like we don't have to keep Passover to receive eternal life. We just have to have faith and believe in Jesus. Because that's what he said, right? Because that's what he said. <laughs> Jesus never. Words of Jesus in yeah. John chapter six or fifty three. Yep. Right. So, um, and even when you see the, the apostles, right, the apostles, they, they, Apostle Paul, Apostle Peter, none of them, Apostle John, none of them said that we need to keep the Passover to receive eternal life. Right. So, um, so like that, obviously, you know, that dispels that, you know, Passover is not a sign of the true church that keeps what the truth that Jesus kept, right? Because Jesus, he kept Passover one time. The apostles, you know, they never said it was you had to keep Passover to receive eternal life. Right. That's fulfilled by believing and having faith in Jesus. Okay. So so kind of explain again Mm -hmm. that, okay, so basically the argument, what that, that's, you know, they take that parable, they explain the parable and the conclusion of that, again, explain that. How does that tie into Passover for them? So, um, so they say that the, the true church will keep the true church, meaning the, the, the wheats, right? Yeah. The good seed. They will keep everything that Jesus kept. Okay. So they said Jesus kept the Jesus are kept and commanded. So they say Jesus kept the Passover. So we need to keep the Passover. Okay. Right. The apostles, they kept the Passover. So we need to keep the Passover. Um, but again, Jesus never said that we need to keep the Passover to receive eternal he never, life. He never right? did. So then right. how can, how can the, the, the church that claims to be the true church insists that Passover is a way to eternal life when Jesus never, Jesus himself never said that. Okay. So basically just to make sure I'm understanding, they, they basically say, okay, you got weeds and wheat. The weeds are the true children of God or however you want to say that the wheat are the ones who are false and they might be pretending to follow God, but they're not keeping, they're not true children of God. The way we can distinguish which is which is, is we look at which are keeping the Passover because if you're keeping Passover, it shows that you're keeping the commandments of Jesus. And so you're in the truth. Okay. Well, yeah. So I think you're right. Like the last video demolishes that. And so one short way we can show that is going back to first John three twenty three. Again, this is all about what did Jesus command? If differentiating between who is true and who is false, who is right. we and who is weed is based on who's keeping Jesus's commands. Well, then what we need to know is what did Jesus command? What yeah. What, what can we look at what the apostles told us about what is commanded? Okay, so John 3, John, 1 John 3, 23. And this, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us. You could say that another way. You could say, and by this, we know who the weeds are. We know... Yeah. Or, or we know who the wheat is and who the weeds are. We know by the spirit whom he has given us. So yeah. we know who has the spirit by differentiating who is keeping his commandments. So on that point, I agree with the world and society. Like, right, we need to see who's actually right. keeping Jesus' commandments. But again, we got to ask what the question, what is his commandment? And First John 3, 23 tells us. And then I just, again, I want to connect that to John 6. Again, what we talked about last time where you see this is this Jesus is repeating himself here (laughs) through the scripture um, Mm -hmm. where people ask, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Again, you could ask that another way. 
Like these people are basically asking, what must we do to be wheat, right? And to know that we're not weeds. This, again, okay, look at that word, this. In first in John 6, 29, Jesus says this. And first John 3, 23, John says, and this, right? This, I'm gonna tell you, this is the answer. This is his commandment. And Jesus in John 6, 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So how can we know who the weed is and the weeds are? Well, we look at those whose faith in Jesus is manifesting in love, right? right. According to 1 John 3, 23, their faith in Jesus isn't just like this block, this empty faith where it's like they have a head knowledge of Jesus, but it's actually resulting in what's, what's, and why, why is it about belief? Why is it about faith? Well, it's because when we believe that God loves us unconditionally, apart from what we're doing, Mm-hmm. We will not be able to help but have that manifest and result in us loving those around us. When right. we know we're loved by God, we will love others and we will we will walk out the fruit of the Spirit. And, and what does is, what is Paul and, and uh, others say in the New Testament? That all the law is fulfilled in this one thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your neighbor as yourself. He's saying the same thing. He's saying this is the work of God that you believe. Well, why? Because if we believe the love God has for us, we're going to love him with all of our hearts. Mm -hmm. And if we love him with all of our hearts, we're going to love others. And what's Mm -hmm. happening when we do that? We're fulfilling the whole law. Well, what is Passover? What is Sabbath? They're part of the law, right? And so if I'm loving God and loving my neighbor, what does Paul tell me? He says, I'm fulfilling the whole law. What does that mean about Passover and Sabbath? Well, in some way, I'm fulfilling the true meaning of Passover and Sabbath by those simple acts of loving God believing in him and loving my neighbor. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing is like, that's what the, that's what the weeds is. That's what, you know, Jesus' gospel is. That's what he commanded. It literally says, this is what I command. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, that's the favorite verse of today now. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Well, yeah, that one verse alone, just like completely disintegrated. I mean, that combined with with the explanation of the Passover, like how we can, how we can, you know, eat his flesh and drink his blood for eternal life. That is really through believing in him, having, having faith that just, you know, tears down how yep. they use that parable of the weeds and wheat to justify that they are the true church. Mm-hmm. Because the true church, according to the, the or the, the church which Jesus established, right, um, that's based on his commands is going to be the church that, you know, had, that believes in Jesus yep. right, and that loves one another. Yep. And that's it believes in the name of exactly. Jesus. Exactly. That's what you that's pointed out last time. It's yeah. what, what church is believing in the name of Jesus. And so actually that, yeah, that brings up a great point. So let me pull up this church, verse here. The church says directly, they do not believe through the name Jesus. They can be, they have like a, they have like a song yes. called the Songbook. And one of the new songs is number 145 called He Has Saved Me. And it says directly, it is not by the name Jehovah. It is not by the name Jesus, but it is by the name Anselm when we are saved. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So again, within the same context, all the context that reconfirms everything we're saying within the same book. So first John two, 23, first John chapter two, verse 23 says, no one who denies the son. Well, who's the son in this context? In John's mind, he's talking about Jesus, the son with the name Jesus. No one who denies the son has the father. So anybody who denies the name of Jesus is not the wheat. Whoever yeah. confesses the Son has the Father also. Whoever confesses the Son is displaying that they are the wheat. Whoever's confessing 
the name of Jesus. Why is that? Well, because this is his commandment. This is the commandment that Jesus gave us to believe in his name, to believe in the name of who? The son. That's what it says again. It connects back. So if you, if you look at verse 23 and you say, oh, well, the son, that, that's Ong Song Hong is the son. Well, no, he says in the name of his son, and he specifies Jesus Christ is the name of his son. So and then they'll, they'll, they'll probably say like, oh, that's the age of the father. That's the age of the son. Right? Yes. When through the name Jesus, we could be saved. But it does. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that that's going to change. It never <laughs> says that. And, and actually, in contradiction to that, Philippians 2, that says it's a prophecy of something that has not been fulfilled, says that. Uh, that God has given Jesus, it says he's given him the name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. About uh, a week ago or two weeks ago, I was out and I, I approached, or, or actually a member of the church approached me. And I kind of stood in his way because I knew he had come and talked to me. I just wanted to talk to him. <laughs> and so he got to that. You I got, yourself. <laughs> yeah, I, I basically did, yeah. yeah. But he got he got to that. He was trying to explain the different ages, and I brought that up. I brought well, why does Philippians two like I asked him like Has this happened yet? Has every knee bowed? Has every tongue confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord? And it was strange because he was really dancing around the question. He didn't. He didn't. I think he didn't have a script to answer this. Um, but this is something that has not been fulfilled. Every knee has not bowed to the name of Jesus. Every tongue has not con confessed to the name of Jesus. So why then does Paul say that it's at the name of Jesus, the name that is that God has bestowed as the name above every name, every knee, he says, will bow. Every tongue will confess. This is something that's going to happen in the future. Well, if it's going to happen in the future, it hasn't happened yet. Well, that shows that the age of Jesus is not over because people are still going to bow and worship the name of Jesus. Right. So... I guess so far, the only reply, and I don't, let me ask like immediately again with your member hat on, do you have something, do you think of something immediately? It's like, well, I want you again, I want you to challenge that. I want you, if you have a challenge. Mm -hmm. uh, well, not for, not for first John chapter three, verse 23 for first John chapter two, verse 23, where it says no one who denies the son has the father. Whoever acknowledges the son has the father also. Yep. But they'll, they'll emphasize that um, it's, it doesn't mention divinity. It just says whoever denies the son. And they'll say they don't deny the son. They believe Anselmo is the same Jesus who appeared 2,000 years ago. So that'll be probably their rebuttal okay. from point, for, from First John 2, 23. Okay. But for, from... First John chapter three verse twenty three, it says like literally to believe in the name of His Son, yeah. and that doesn't change. Like, yeah. There's no verse in the Bible that says yep. that changes. So they might show like you know Revelation two or Revelation three where it says um, Jesus will give us a new name, but I mean that's a that's another kind of like rabbit hole to go down. Right. But, I mean you can ease. I mean uh, that. That's probably one of the, like the top ten vague and confusing like passages in the bible like what is that well, really because like, <laughs> so. um, i don't know if you guys have read the book from that i think his name is jay quentin freiberg quinn or quentin freiberg he, no. he wrote a book you can find it on amazon um it, it's where he dispels a lot of the like through the bible like a lot of the teachings of like the the world mission society and one of the things he um explains about is in revelation i think it's either 2 17 or 3 12 when you know jesus said he will give us a new name yeah uh, yeah so if you see revelation 2 
in verse 17, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a, a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. So he dispels that by saying, you know, there's there's people who have, like, like for example, um, um, Jacob, right? Jacob wrestled with God. God gave him a new name, mm-hmm. right? So those who overcome, right? Those who overcome God, sometimes God gives what a new name. Mm-hmm. So that's how he explained that. One. Like that's a that's an, a way. One of the ways that this verse can be understood. Well, I think so, absolutely. I mean, that's that's not just Jacob. That's a commonly repeated theme in the Bible. I mean, yeah, to, but, Abraham was changed to Abraham. The church, they don't know that. Yeah, they, they don't know, to people in the World Mission Society, they don't they don't know yep. that. So and just so, a couple examples is Abram, Abram. God changed Abram, his name to Abram, Abraham. Sarah, yep, Sarah Sarai. Peter. Peter's not. That's not his name. That was the name Jesus oh, gave him. His Paul. name is Simon. Saul to Paul. And so what? <laughs> what's that result of? How does that happen? Well, again, this comes back to faith. Like these people, they believe in Jesus, and and he he gives them that new name that that reflects the way God sees them. This really it comes back to God's grace. Like God called Abraham. What what? The name Abraham actually means father of multitudes. And so yeah, a lot of the names have, have certain meanings. They have specific meanings. Yeah. And so it's basically God's way of saying, it's God's way of preaching the gospel, of proclaiming right. the gospel, of saying, he's saying to Abraham by changing his name, he was saying, that was before Abraham had any kids. And he was old and he was right. like decrepit. But God said, I want you to start calling yourself father of multitudes. Well, why? Well, that's that's a picture of God's wanting us to walk by faith. So Abraham had to begin to say about himself, my name is father of multitudes. And he had to base that on the promise of God that God said, I'm going to give you a son. And it's not going to be dependent on your works or your efforts. Um, even though he ran off and he tried to get it done by himself, but, and he made Ishmael, um, which is a reflection of us trying to work for salvation. That's that's a picture of us going out and trying to effort and trying to do for God what God says he wants to do for us. God said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a child. I'm going to do it for you. Abraham got into a place of unbelief in his heart because God was delaying. And he said, well, I need to go out and do this for God. That's a what a great picture of the gospel where what a great picture also of the spirit of religion, the spirit of legalism that the World Miss Society Church of God walks in, where basically what they're doing is they're teaching members to go out and make Ishmaels. They're teaching members to go out and do for God what God has promised to do for you, which is to make you righteous, to justify you, to save you. That's something God says he will freely do for us in the same way God freely brought about the birth of Isaac, apart from Abraham's efforts. So, that's kind of maybe a side note, but I think, yeah, that's that's a lot of what's being uh, gotten at when it talks about the new name yeah. in Revelation. It's, it's another rabbit hole to go down. Yeah. It is. But one thing I'm confused about, maybe you can clarify this, is is uh, what what scripture is that about the new name, Revelation 2? Oh, yeah, Revelation 2, 17, and then there's another one, Revelation 3, verse 12. Okay. So what do they say is the new name? Like in, in 17 when it says all oh, give. They say the new name is Unsung Holmes. Okay. So why does it say no one knows except the one who receives it? Um, I don't know. Do they, I mean, do they explain <laughs> that? Like that's so confusing to me because if yeah. no one knows the name written on them except the one who receives it, that to me indicates that this is a personal, really personal, like one-on-one yeah, because, with God because, interaction. I mean, people who've never been in the church, they know the name Unsung Holmes because you can go online. Everybody knows the name. 
Yeah, it might not be a you know a household name at this point, but you know you can go online. It's not a hidden name. Like you can. Yeah, this is like saying no one, like even brothers and sisters who are following. You know, even yeah. if you assume the world site is true, uh, which it's not, but. If it's true and this is like God giving them a new name, the name on Song Hong, well, it's saying like even your brothers and fellow followers aren't going to know what name it is. Well, yeah. every all the members know the name on Song Hong. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, I've always seen that. I'm like, I just, I just, I don't get how they use that. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. So let's move on. That was David. the weeds and wheat. So let's move on to King David. And so this again. This is more about on Song yeah, so okay. this one is like I would say this is probably the one that they they think has the most evidence to prove that he is the second coming Christ. Okay. Um, because uh, so like, do you want me just to like go through like I'm preaching it? Yep. Do okay. it. So okay. So um. So they if you go to Hosea chapter three, there's gonna be a lot of flipping through the. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Hosea chapter three and verse uh, five. Um, it says, uh, afterward, the Israelites will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to the blessings in the last days. Right. So here it explains that, you know, in the last days, David will appear and he will give blessings. Right. Mm -hmm. but, what? I'm sorry. What verse was that? Oh, sorry. Hosea chapter three and verse five. Oh, three, five. Okay. Yeah. Okay. In verse five. Um, so again, it says like that. It, so the time frame is talking about the last days, right? Mm -hmm. So in the last days, it says we need to seek David for blessings. But for us, we're living in the last days. What is the number one blessing we want to receive? Is salvation, right? Mm -hmm. So in order to receive salvation, we need to seek David. But this isn't talking about the physical King David who appeared, you know, who appeared, I don't know how many years ago, right? right? Before Jesus, right? Yeah. It's not talking about that Jesus because, or sorry, that David, because that David had already lived and died. Yep. So it's explaining about a prophetical King David, a spiritual King David, that for you and I who are living in the last days, we need to seek in order to receive salvation. Okay. So, um, do you want me to go into the, the next yep. verse? Or, okay. I want so you then, to convince uh, me that Ong Song Hong <laughs> is Christ based on this prophecy. Okay. 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 So then, um, so then the question is then who is this prophetical King David that we need to seek in the last days for salvation? So if you see, um, Isaiah chapter nine, um, if you see Isaiah chapter nine, verse six and seven, so Isaiah chapter nine, verse six and seven, it says, for to us, a child is born to us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So it's common Christian understanding that this verse is speaking about Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. But then when you see verse seven, it says of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So here, this is a prophecy in the book of Isaiah that Jesus, he will reign on David's throne. Okay. Right. So then um, if we can see like the mated verse, if you see Luke, um, if you see Luke chapter one. This is like a blast from the past. Okay. <laughs> so if you see Luke chapter one, um, in verse, I gotta get there, verse 31 through 32. Okay. Um, it says, 
In chapter 1, verse 31 through 32, it says, You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. So this is talking about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And it says in verse 32, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. So here the Bible explains again that Jesus, he is going to he is going to receive David's throne. Yes, right? absolutely. So, yeah. So and he has. Well, I one of the things that people say is, oh, he came from the line of David. Right. But um, but that's but this is talking about like like something related to his throne. Right. So. Um, so, like, for example, like David's throne was called David's throne because he he it was like he sat on it. Right. Yeah. And anyway, when he died, his son Solomon came to power. It was then called Solomon's throne. Right. But Jesus, he's not sitting on Jesus's throne. He's receiving David's throne. Meaning there is something in the there is something about the throne of David that will relate to the life of Jesus Christ. Then when we look at what happened concerning the throne of David, we can understand what will happen in the life of Christ. So that's when you go to um, 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 5. Um, oh. so 2 Samuel chapter 5 and verse 3. It says, when all the elders, when all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a compact with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. Verse four, David was 30 years old when he became king and he reigned 40 years. Okay. So they say like a throne doesn't mean like an actual chair. Like it's not that Jesus is going to sit in the exact same chair that David did. But a throne, actually, they say represents um, a time in which a person is anointed to that throne and then how long they reign on the throne for. So for David, the actual King David, it says he was 30 years old and he became king and he reigned for 40 years. So then Jesus, who is to receive David's throne, he must do the same. He must he must um, be anointed at age 30. He must, you know. Be be yeah, be anointed at age thirty, and then he must reign for forty years. Okay. So then we have to understand how did Jesus fulfill this prophecy, right? Or did he fulfill this prophecy? So first, we need to understand what does it mean that Jesus was anointed, um, or Jesus was anointed, right? When or when was Jesus anointed, and what age? So if you go to um, Luke chapter three, this is a lot of jumping, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I'm almost at the main point. Okay, cool. <laughs> Luke chapter, actually, sorry, Luke chapter 4. Luke 4. Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. So Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed, right? So here he's saying in verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Mm -hmm. So when the spirit of the Lord comes on Jesus, that's when he's anointed. Then we need to understand when did the spirit come on Jesus? So thereby understanding when was he anointed? Okay. So if you see Luke chapter three and verse uh, 21, mm -hmm. it says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. So we can understand that Jesus, it says he was baptized, right? But it says, as like when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended on him. Meaning, 
when he was baptized, he was spiritually anointed. But at what age was he baptized? Age 30. 30. Right? Yep. I think about it. Age 30, like that's an older age to be baptized at, right? Some people are baptized when they're babies or yep. he could have been baptized when he was younger. Why age 30? Right. Yep. It was because he was fulfilling the throne of David. Right. David was anointed at age 30. Therefore, Jesus, he must be spiritually anointed through baptism at age 30. But then we understand also that along with, you know, being anointed at age 30, David, he reigned for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Right. But after Jesus was baptized, did he preach 40 years? No. Nope. Right. He lived only three more years because he was crucified. Right. Then does that mean Jesus did not fulfill the prophecy? Jesus did not reign on David's throne? No. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is great. Yep. It doesn't mean that he, you know, he, he like uh, he didn't fulfill the prophecy because remember in Hosea it says in the last days, we need to seek David, David. for salvation. Okay. Right. Yep. So, um, so meaning Jesus must appear a second time to yep. fulfill the throne of David. Mm. That's why when you, that's why when you go to Hebrews chapter nine, he will bring Hebrews, salvation. Yeah, Hebrews chapter, this is a very famous verse in the church. It is. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, it says, So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So here it says, like, very, like, directly, right? It says um, that, you know, Jesus, he died once, you know, for the sins of many people, but it says he will appear. Appear means you and I will be able to see. Right, that yep. he will appear a second time, not to bear salvation or not to bear sin, but to bring salvation. Because in Hosea, it says in the last days, who is going to bring salvation? David, right? But here it says, who will bring salvation? Second coming Christ. Therefore, we can understand that in our time, second coming Christ, he will appear and he will give us salvation. But he will appear according to the throne of David. David was anointed at age 30 and he reigned 40 years. So we understand 2,000 years ago, Jesus was spiritually anointed through baptism at age 30. Therefore, when second coming Christ comes, he must be baptized at age 30. And then how many years must he preach? Right. Jesus fulfilled three out of the 40 years at his first coming. Mm-hmm. That means there's 37 years unfulfilled. Right. Uh-oh. So when, yeah, right. When second coming Christ comes, he must be baptized at age 30 and he must preach 37 years. Okay. Right. But the thing is, is like there's even a more sure sign by which we can recognize second coming Christ when he appears and when he's baptized at age 30 and when he's preaches 37 years, there's a more sure sign by which we can recognize him. Passover. And, Passover. Passover. Okay. Yeah, that's why when you go to um, Isaiah, and it's, uh, I gotta find the verse. Isaiah chapter 55. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. So here the Bible says, right, that God was going to make an everlasting covenant with us, right? But it says that his faithful love is promised to David. Mm-hmm. So for example, say I promise you $5, but I'm going to give you, but I'm sorry, I, I will give you $5, but it will be promised through Jesse, meaning I will give you $5 okay, through Jesse. I got to so go to Jesse to get it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So in the same way, God is going to give us an everlasting covenant, but how God will give us that everlasting covenant is through, through David. David. Right. But again, at the time that this verse was written, David had already lived and died. So it's not talking about the physical King yep. David, but it's talking about the spiritual, the spiritual David. King David that we have to seek in our time for salvation. So they say that this everlasting covenant is the Passover. Ooh, so the okay. sure sign. So do you want me to show that verse really quick? Yeah, just let's do okay. it. 
let's do Luke. Sorry, Luke chapter 22. I think it's more clear in Luke. Yep. Luke chapter 22. Luke gives a little bit more detail. Yeah, Luke, Luke says it's uh, without the footnote. So if you see Luke chapter 22 and verse 20, it says, In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So the Bible explains that there's two covenants. There's the old covenant and the new covenant. So, like, but in Isaiah, it said everlasting covenant, right? Mm-hmm. So the old covenant cannot be the everlasting covenant simply because there right. exists a new covenant, right? Exactly. But what does the Bible say the new covenant is? It's Jesus's blood given through the Passover. Therefore... The sure sign by which we can recognize King David or the prophetical King David, the second coming Christ in these last days, is that he must bring the Passover. Okay. So um so these are the character these are the characteristics that are required. Okay. So like a like a short summary yep. is that second coming Christ, when he appears to give us salvation, he must be baptized at age thirty. Okay. He must preach thirty seven years and he must preach about the Passover. Okay. Okay. So the one who has fulfilled this in our time is An Sang Hong. Mm. An Sang Hong, he was baptized or he was born in nineteen eighteen and he was baptized in nineteen forty eight. So between 1918 and 1948, that's 30 years. That means he was 30 years old when he was baptized. So after he was baptized in 1948, he preached until 1985. If you do 1985 minus 1948, that equals 37 years. So that's, <laughs> that's, the, that's the study. But wow. the thing is, that the, was impressive. Is, yeah. So I haven't done that also for like two and a half yeah, years. Yeah, that was okay? impressive. So, I mean, I have the verses written down in front of me, but I'm not reading the book, obviously. Yep. But um, it's there's so many places that there's something wrong in there. I mean, scripture aside, first of all, there's no proof on someone's baptized in 1948. Okay. No proof. Okay. Um, the church the church says that uh, all the records, because like the, yeah, the church says all the records that, that show that he was baptized in 1948 were destroyed in a fire, yet they have no record of a fire. That is convenient. You can't prove that. Um, and there's actually a record of him being baptized in the seventh day, in the Hyundai seventh yeah. day Adventist church in 1954. Um, so, and that, and the, and the Ansan Hong was baptized in 1954, his same birthday as the World Mission Society's Ansan Hong, right? Same expulsion date from that church that the Ansan Hong claims in 1962, right? It's the same one. It's the same one. It's, it's the and same one. And you can see the actual record that that, that Hyundai Seventh day Adventist church, they have like a physical record. You guys watching, you're going to see that picture right now because I'm going to have it pulled up on the screen when, okay, when I put yeah. this together. So there you go. So they, they you can see the record. You can and in this record, you can see Ong Song Hong's name. You can yeah. see the date. And this Ong Song Hong was married to. So, so, um, so he was, his wife's name was, uh, Hong Won Soon. Is that in um, the records? No, that one's, that one's not in the record. Okay. I think I mentioned in my previous video it was. Um, I think I was thinking of like a different, okay. uh, something, but her name is not written there. But the church's rebuttal, um, the, and I, I, I'll say that right now. Like, I'm not afraid to say I made a mistake. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's so, great. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so like in that, uh, the, their rebuttal for that record is that it's out of order. They say the baptism dates are out of order. But the thing is, is first of all, it's handwritten, right? And who's to say that it's in the order of, it's supposed to be in the order of a baptism records. It could be everybody standing in a line 
and say, okay, give me your information. I'll write it down. Yeah. Right. Wow. <laughs> you know what I'm okay. So yeah. So okay. You're going to get comments about that. <laughs> okay. So we talked a little bit about this in, in your first interview. And so at the foundation of this argument, the David prophecy is the false assertion that that is a prophecy. First off, namely that because David reigned on his throne for 40 years, therefore Jesus must preach or Christ must preach for 40 years. Okay. Would you say that that's kind of the, the foundation of this argument? Yeah. There's no correlating verse that says, you know, reigning on a throne is equivalent to preaching the gospel. Yeah. Like I would, I would just ask, and I would challenge you guys who might be struggling with this, thinking that this is a really convincing argument. I'm just going to say it's not. And I'm going to say simply when you hear that argument, when you're thinking through it, ask yourself the question, where in the Old Testament, where in the Bible does it say that the Christ must preach for 40 years? Where is that? But that's, but that's the thing is like, there's so many people in the, they, they tie so many events with like people in the Bible that represent like Christ. Like, like you said, like Moses, some events in Moses's life match up with events in, in Jesus's life. Yep. Right? Some events in Isaac's life match up with Jesus's life. David, Melchizedek, right? Some events match up in the, uh, in the life of Christ, but they pick and choose which ones, which ones? they want to match. Exactly. And then also which ones they want to match with Anselm's life. Yep. King, like King, King David, I mean, how how many things does the Bible list about what King David did, right? He, he did a ton of stuff, but they just focus on that those two sentences that say he was anointed as king and then he was anointed at age 30 and then he reigned for 40 years. They just focus on on those ones and him establishing, him building up Zion. Yep. That's and so they match that with Unsung Holmes' life. I can read I can read any story in the Bible and try to match it up with Unsung Holmes' life and Exactly, know, yeah. And that's why so this whole argument of the David prophecy is founded upon a faulty assumption. That's what you have to get first, is founded on the faulty assumption that David's reigning for forty years means Jesus must preach for forty years. And I just ask again, prove that. Show me. Show me in the Bible where it says that must happen, where that's that's actually a prophecy. And you can't. You just can't show that. Right. Um, so besides that, I'm curious, what other issues do you see with that? Do you see other holes? Oh yeah, there's 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 tons of there's tons of Okay, holes talk about those. Because not only not only, you know, there's no proof he was born or he was baptized in nineteen forty eight, right? The other the other thing is is there's no proof that he preached about the Passover in nineteen forty eight. When you see his like his books, like the the green book, um, The Mystery of God and Spring of Water of Life, mm-hmm. that one the first edition, I believe it was in the seventies, right? Okay. So there's no book with a public with a published that says, you know, copyright nineteen forty eight. So there's no official proof he actually preached about the Passover in 1948. Yeah. Furthermore, in 1948, he was a member of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, yeah. right? Okay, and, and so he so the according to the WMS standards. And their defense of that, maybe maybe this is one this is one of them that I've heard. Why he was baptized in the Seventh-day Adventist right. Church. They'll say well Jesus also, right? He he went into this the temple into this corrupt system, right? Is that kind of their argument that Jesus also like there were many problems with the Jew Jewish customs and and the um, the established order of that day, but yet Jesus kind of functioned under that, and so that's similar yeah, to how is that kind of their argument? Well, they, so else? it's it's similar. That one is it's has to do with like their their study of the seven churches, which is like it's like a couple hours long. Oh boy, yeah, it's 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 like a six hour long study. Okay, um, but uh, 
So, I mean, it's essentially, it's essentially very similar. Um, they, they justify that he was baptized in the Seventh-day Adventist Church because of the Church of Laodicea in, in Revelations um, 2 and 3 or, or wherever that's at. Um, and uh, they acknowledge that he was in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. But the thing is, is like, he didn't keep the password reporting to the way the WMS or the WMSCOG says that it needs to be kept. So he didn't keep the password according to, you know, the church's standards. Um, and uh, he, like, they also said, oh, he preached alone for 37 years. Um, he had a wife and kids. So I don't know how he was preaching alone for 37 I mean, he had a congregation. People mm-hmm. were like, you can see pictures of him with, like, the gospel workers. Or, sorry, gospel workers means, like, those who, like, go out and preach, like, every day so um so you can see pictures of of him with them so he didn't do everything alone for 37 years um and uh yeah and then oh yeah so like um he founded his church in 1964 so from 1964 until 1985 that's when you know we know the passover was being kept because he kept it in the in that church that church was called the witnesses of jesus church of god that he founded okay and so, um, so from 1948 until 1985, right, that's 37 years. But again, no proof he was baptized in 1948. Mm-hmm. There is proof he was baptized in 1954, right? So 1954 to 1985. Which is, is a big problem. Yeah, which is less than 30. That's why that's a big problem. That's why they, they, they go hard and try to debate the authenticity of like, um, that baptism record because if, because that disproves their, their doctrine for King David, that means he is not second coming Christ according to their doctrine. Does the NCPOG acknowledge that document? Do they, do they even care about it? What, I mean, do you, I don't know. are you aware of their perspective? I, I, I don't know if they acknowledge it. But um, even if they don't acknowledge, because NCPCOG doesn't believe he is Christ. Right. And so, so they, they the that's why I'm curious if they just like, they just look at the evidence of that and like, yeah, he was baptized in, you know, the year it says on the document. I think they might believe he was baptized in 1948, but again, without proof, you right. know, it, it's, it's just somebody's word. So, yep. yeah. So with that. Let's say he was baptized in 1948, which the evidence says he wasn't, which is a big deal. Well, okay, that doesn't that doesn't really matter um, for one thing because we already talked about there's no prophecy in the Bible that says he must preach for Christ must preach for 40 years, so that's insignificant. Yeah. And there's no proof he preached about the Passover for 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 37 years from 1948 to 1985. Right. I mean, there's proof from 1964 to 1985, but there's no proof from 1948 to 1964. And further than that, there's no significance in anybody preaching the Passover as if that's some... That's and, some David, and David never kept the Passover. And David, David never kept the Passover. And so if this, there's a significant connection between David's throne and, and, and you, can, you can identify David by the one who restores Passover. Well, yeah. David didn't keep Passover. Well, that's a big deal. Um, yeah. you know, and also something that we could talk about is, is Ong Song Hong, if he's, uh, they claim he's Christ, but man, what about all the issues with this guy's character? Um, you know, like him, I mean, the fact that he has children, this is something that I thought of recently. Like he's, he has a son, um, he has four children, four children. Okay. So if Ong Song Hong is Christ. First of all, here, here's, here's something that I've been wanting to talk about. Jesus was born to the Virgin Mary. 
why that's significant, why he had to come into this world through a virgin is so that the sin nature of mankind was not passed down through him so that he didn't enter into this world with the same nature as fallen humanity. That's just because he was born of the spirit. Ong Song Hong was born to two physical flesh and blood human beings yeah. who are Buddhists, right? Well, is how that's, 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 that's another topic. Okay. Yeah, no, that's because like um, one of the subjects that they have is called about Melchizedek. And when I first learned to preach that in like 2008, so from 2008 to 2011, we were told to make the point that on Sung Hong, his parents were Buddhist because like 90% of Korea at that time was Buddhist, right? So by default, they must have been Buddhist. Then in uh, 2011, we were told like very directly, like, do not say his parents were Buddhist. We don't have proof his parents were Buddhist. And now they say, like, if you see the the, the true WMSCOG site, they say like, um, we, the, we church never taught that his parents were Buddhist. But obviously, if you see Jeremy's video, you can see in the Wayback Machine, <laughs> right. that was their size. Wow. They said it directly with the same yeah. explanation they told us how to explain it. So yep. it's, yeah, so they, they backtracked on that one. But yeah. Okay. So the significant thing, again, why I brought that up is because Jesus, the why the Bible puts so much emphasis on the virgin birth, even back to that prophecy in Isaiah, behold, the virgin will conceive and, you know, uh, is, is because Jesus was perfect. It says that he was without sin. And so that's the significance of why Luke, the gospel of Luke explains to us that he was born, uh, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And for that reason, he was called the son of God. Um, because he was born not with the fallen, corrupt nature of Adam. Um, but here's the thing. Ong Song Hong was born to two physical parents, and that's right. acknowledged. Well, what that means is that Ong Song Hong was born with the same fallen, corrupt nature as Adam had. What that means, Ong Song Hong himself needs a savior. He needs redemption from the curse of Adam that was passed through um, so that's a problem. And he had the same, he had the same thinking too, because he never said he was Christ. Yes. He always, he said in his books that he, he made it very clear that he was still, that the coming of Christ was still yet to come. And he even predicted the return of Christ like twice, like mm -hmm. at least in 1988. Yeah. So that's in his books, right? Where he, he's yeah. actually acknowledging Jesus yeah. is going to return. And, and yeah. there's, there's. He Somewhere, says, he says, even in the last days, it is only through the name through Jesus. The name of, which, so I'll put that up once we get that. That's going to be, that'll again be on the screen right now. So you guys can see Ong Song Hong himself. But I believe, the, I believe the, the mention of like, um, of, of you know, it's even in the last days, it's only through the name That's Jesus. That's been changed. I think that one's, I think that one is in the green book. Oh, okay. But I, but the, the mystery of God's spring of water of life book, but, um, I'll get you, I'll get you guys the, okay. The so either way, we'll have a screenshot up on the screen right now where you can see with Hong Song Hong's own words, him confessing that in the last days, it'll only be in the name Jesus that we're saved by, which goes right along with Philippians 2, which tells us that Jesus has been given the name above every name, and it'll be his name that every knee bows to and tongue confesses to in the last days. Um, so again, beyond that, okay, let's, so <clears> Hong <throat> Song Hong being born to two human parents, that's a problem. But, okay, let's go, let's assume, let's say he is Christ. Let's say he is God. Well, then you have another big problem with the fact that he has kids. This is something I thought about recently. If Ong Song Hong is God and he has four children, well, that means Ong Song Hong passed on to his children like like they are gods. Like, I don't, 
they ha- they are literally born from Ong Song Hong from God. God. They are God's like beyond us being God's children. Like they are like literally God's children. Yeah. So I don't get why are you not worshiping Ong Song Hong's son because that's his. That's the literal son of God. Um, that that to me that just I thought of that the other day. I never thought of that before, but that just seems like a huge issue to me. Well, they 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 justify him having children because for a while they actually denied that he he and John Gilja had children for a while. Which is until, well, yeah. So until like because um, like around 2011, 2012, there were many members um, from the the New York and LA churches that that um, like left. It was like a pretty big exodus of people just just leaving the church. And when they did that, they did a lot of research. Um, and they provide a lot of information online through the, you know, the examining the WMS COG okay. site. And um, once that information started coming out, that's when the church held seminars all across the U.S. and um, like just to tackle all of these, all these things that are being said. And one of which was was that. And so, their way of tackling it was to deny. No, no, they said they no. Their, their way of tackling it was like because they knew they couldn't deny it because the WMSCO or sorry. Oh, the, okay. The so at that point, though, the cat was out of the bag, kind of. So yeah, they the just had to explain it. Because the the people who run the WMSCOG site or the examining the WMSCOG site, they had the the birth record of his. They have like the the certified um, translations of you know his his who his parents were who um, his wife's parents were who his children were the days they were born the day his like marriage was reported they had the certified translation of those official documents okay. posted so they couldn't they deny couldn't that. deny it. So their justification for that was um, like a verse in Hebrews that said God had to be made like us in every way. Mm-hmm. So they said he had to have children. He had to have a wife. Right. Um, John Gilja had to, you know, face a divorce because we all have kids. I mean, because, you know, people like us, we have kids. We have um uh, you know, we get married, John Gil, you know, people get divorced. So that justified it. And okay. That was their only excuse. Is that what they use to this day? Yeah, that's what they used to this day. Okay. I, let, me, let me see if I can find the verse real big. Yeah. He, it's like Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2.17. Um, uh, not 17. Not seven. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, 17. But it starts from like verse uh, 14 is what they show. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. It says, since the children of flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. So he had to be made like us in every way to destroy the power of Satan. Mm-hmm. Right. Then you see verse 15 and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels. He helps, but Abraham's descendants for this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest and service to God and they might make atonement for the sins of the people. Okay. So in order for us to receive the forgiveness of sins, in order for us to be forgiven and, you know, so that the power of Satan can be destroyed, he had to come like us, meaning he had to get married, he had to have kids, but they, they, they adamantly denied it before, okay. before it, the cat came out of the bag in 2012-ish. Okay, so I want to pull up a verse right now that needs to be connected to that. Mm-hmm. So Hebrews 4, 14. Mm-hmm says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way that we are. So what is he saying? He's saying that he, um, going back to Hebrews 2, he, since the children shared in flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. And he, uh, 
where does it say every way? Yeah, so verse 17 of Hebrews 2, for this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way. So jump back to Hebrews 4. Again, we have a great high priest who can sympathize us. The reason he can sympathize with us is because he became like us in every way. But here's the key thing. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who was tempted in every way that we are yet was without sin. Here's yeah. the thing. You, you can't plug in divorce in there. God says he hates divorce. If you, oh, I know. <laughs> if, you, if you claim that Ong Song Hong had a divorce because that was him, Ong Song Hong and mother had a divorce because they were they had to become like us in every way. Well, well, first of all, this says Jesus had to become like us in every way. It, it doesn't say mother, and it doesn't say Jesus had to become like us in every way again. The whole I know, point of depending people, on the prophecy, sometimes they say, "Oh, God, father and mother are one, or father and mother are two separate." It okay. Depends on okay. Explain. But here's the thing: divorce is a sin. If if Ong Song Hong became like us in every way, even in divorce, then he had sin, which means he is not Christ because God cannot sin. God cannot lie. Um, God cannot deny himself. If he if he willingly divorces his wife, then he is denying his own right. To, that would be God denying his own righteous character, his own perfect character. So yeah. that 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 is. A terrible, terrible, terrible yeah. argument. That's um, yep. another thing too is that stuck out to me is you jump back to Hebrews two, and it says that all this he did in verse fifteen, he became like us so that he could free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Like mm -hmm. if that's the job Ong Song Hong set out to do, and that's what the world and society set out to accomplish, they sure aren't doing a good job because I don't I don't know of a member who's who's freed from their slavery of their Fear no. of death, like fear their life is, is fear of death. It's, it's just, I mean, just the amount of, of things they require, and you can't you can't mess up anywhere. Like mm -hmm. the amount of things that they require for you to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven, some of which isn't even in the Bible, right? It's just a uh, you know, An An Hong said this, you need to do this, or John Gil just says this, so you need to do this. It's just you really feel like you're you're. I mean, this is how I always felt is that like I was like you know, chained to like, you know, like a big metal ball. Mm. Like I, I couldn't, I, I had to, I was always held back. Cause the doctrine felt so convincing. Yeah. Well, it felt so, the, yes, because the doctrine felt so convincing. So that even though like I, you know, I was, I was so tired of everything else, so tired of like church politics and, um, and just, you know, being required to do everything. Um, like time commitment wise and, you know, participate in every single activity. Um, it's just, it was, it, it literally, I, I, it was like, I could see everybody in the world enjoying their lives and I'm stuck behind. Mm. That's literally what it felt like. And it was, it was awful. And, it's, and Jesus said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So I think that's definitely yeah. our goal here is to break people's, the strongholds built in people's minds where they think this doctrine of the world, society, church of God is just too convincing. It's too solid. It's too biblical. It's like, that's, that's not true. That's a it's, lie. It's not solid at all. It's not solid. And, and, and 
for and, and for like the longest time they always said that you know when people criticize their church they always criticize the lives of um Ansan Hong and John Gilja they never criticize the doctrine because they know they can't they can't fight the doctrine the doctrine is so sound and i think you guys and you know even some others who are coming out are showing that like hey you know this doctrine is not as sound as it seems to be mm-hmm. and their their only rebuttal to some of the stuff that's being said is you know you're not God's people so you're you're not humble enough to understand the truth mm-hmm. and you can see it in the comments and it's just yeah, you know it's... they 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 can't they they're at the point where they can't justify what's being said so they just they just attack us yep. you know exactly it's it's just fallacious argument it, it's Literally, you go, I mean, I've posted that ad hominem arguments where they, they don't have a defense. They can't actually defend what they believe. It's, it's, we're pointing out the faulty foundation that they're living on. They can't answer it. And so they're responding with attacks. Um, and that's for you guys who weren't even in the church. For people like me who are in the church, like they, they will actively like hold secret meetings and tell people who knew us that were completely lying. Like in my last video, I mentioned about how, you know, what might happen in the church if, you know, not if, but when Jean Gilja dies, right? Because it's a matter of fact that she's going to die. Then, then I find out that the, they're telling the members that I'm actively saying, I hope John Gilja dies. Yeah. yeah. I didn't say that. Yeah. Right. Right. So it's, it's just, they, 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 they I've, I've said that, I think. <laughs> I didn't say that. Yeah, I don't think it's you not said about that. You, it's about yeah. me, right? And, and so, then act- and then I've act- I actively try to break up couples, and I and I yeah. and I never, you know, I don't do that. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't target people. People contact me. You know, there's like one person I sent a message to, and I didn't even like try to convince this person to try to leave the church. Mm-hmm. I was just like, hey, how are you doing? Because I heard this person had like um. um I don't want to give much detail, but this person had some kind of like hardship. Right. And so I just, you know, just, just reached out. I, yeah. This, this person came, this person came out of one of my social media accounts. So I just like, Oh, I've seen that person. You know, I know that person's going through hardship. So I just want to say, Hey, how are you doing? And, um, and then from that, it, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's crazy. It's crazy how the, it's just, it's, it's very frustrating to, to, to find out, you know, the church makes up rumors about me that aren't true. And I can't defend myself to the people that, you know, I really cared about for yep. so long. And I just, you know, yep. it's not only me, it's, it's, it's any former member that speaks out. We don't get to defend ourselves mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to these, these lies that are being told about us. And then we're told uh, that we're, the, the members are told about us that we're lying, that we're slanders, that yep. it's, 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 it's very frustrating. And it's, 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 <sighs> quite fearful too at the same time because um you know i don't know how the i don't know how the church is going to respond to some of this you know the, yeah. the videos yeah well you just connect yourself to great light studios and tell them we made you do it and <laughs> let them come after us um uh, <laughs> uh, yeah and i don't so, think it works like that but <laughs> yeah <laughs> we'll you just know, I take responsibility i think you know what because at the end of the day you know, I, I can, I can, you know, I could always just, cause they always say, you know, you could just leave and, and not say anything. But at the end of the day, you know, I've seen, I've seen so many, I mean, I, I, I obviously can't tell all the stories cause you know, they're all each person's individual personal stories, but some of the stories that come out are completely heartbreaking mm. and people want to speak out, but they're afraid of like their families 
like what their families who are still in the church, they're afraid of like how they'll respond and how the church will tell the their family members to respond, like stop talking to them. So there's so many people that want to speak out, yep. but they're afraid to. Yep. And so if and you know, if, <laughs> that's why I, that's why you know what people people can say 101 things about me, but you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna stand up for I'm gonna be the voice for those people that that can't speak. So Matthew five forty four is just like if if. <laughs> Worst case scenario, the church comes out and attacks and sues and whether me or you, mm-hmm. that's worst case scenario. And and man, that's in some ways, I feel that would be a good thing for me and what I'm doing because it's going to reconfirm who this church is, what it is. It just every time they do that, every time they respond to members speaking out against them with attacks and and things like that, all it does is reconfirms everything the members are saying. So Matthew 5, 44, where he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your father in heaven. Um, and so rather than responding to enemies with attack and responding with persecution to those who they think are persecuting them, Jesus says, respond to them with a blessing. Um, so as they respond, as the church organization itself responds to members persecution, what they perceive as persecution, which is not, but they're perceiving it as persecution and their chosen response to that is to lash back and attack back and try to persecute back. Well, Jesus says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute, persecute you so that you may be sons of your father in heaven. When they act out in that way, what they're doing is they're displaying once again, that they're not the true church. They're displaying they're not sons of their father, of the father in heaven. They're displaying, going back to the last video, they're displaying they're not the wheat, they're the weeds because they're responding in direct disobedience to how Jesus said to respond to our enemies. But with that said, let's let's go back and, and kind of tie this up about the David prophecy. Um, do you see any other holes? There's a few things here I wanted to point out from the scriptures you brought up, but first I just wanted to see if you see if there are any other holes, any other issues that you wanted to point out. Um, I think just the you know the 1948 baptism, the lack of proof that he was baptized in 1948, and then okay. the, the the prevalence of proof that he was baptized in 1954 is like the 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 biggest thing I think that that really stands out. But scripturally. I'll, I'll let you go ahead. <laughs> okay. And maybe before before I jump into these scriptures here, I'm just curious because there is, you know, Romans 6 where it says, and let me, I think it's probably just worth pulling this up so people can see. Um, so it's the one about, so Ong Song Hong died, right? Um, right. Oh, that Christ will not die again? Yeah. I know, they have, a re- I know they have a response because yeah. they have to have a response to that. Yeah, they do. Um, but I, I've heard one version. I'm, I'm just curious to hear yours. We're, that's Romans 6. Verse 9. Okay. So well, let me just read that. So for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Okay. So that tells me the plain reading, the clear reading of that. It's telling me Jesus Jesus died once for all. What he did, it was a full, complete accomplishment of salvation. They don't read verse 10. So. <laughs> they don't read verse 10? says once for all, no. Okay. Okay. So I'm just curious, what, what, as with your member hat on, do you have a response to that? 
Yeah, so they say, like, that's talking about Jesus' first coming, right? That after he, like, died and was resurrected, he's not going to die again, but he's going to ascend to heaven. So that's why they say... And then come back and die again? Well, (laughs) see, that's where they don't look at verse 10. (laughs) Okay. Because 10, it says, the death he died, he died to sin once for what? All, right? Yeah. So, like, it says, like, it kind of sounds like, okay, Christ is never going to die ever again yeah that's 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 the point they twist it yeah that's the point but they twist it to say oh it's only speaking about uh first coming christ it's not speaking about second coming christ because they say then they use the prophecy of king david to justify that saying that oh christ the second coming christ must pass away after 37 years because he can well even though the bible doesn't even say that too but um uh because like the the ministry must end after 37 years so, because I don't know, maybe you can correct me, but did David die for like after his fortieth year of being king? That's a good question. He continue to live. Um, I think he probably would have. I would have to look into that, but I think he probably. I mean, he was still active king until his death. It wasn't until his death that Solomon would have been then. Um, placed in as as the king oh that's a good point then yeah okay then yeah then yeah so they they use that to justify that on some home he must die after 37 years okay so yeah so there's so many places like that roman 6 obviously it says once for all hebrews 10 10 it says um uh, he, he takes away the first covenant basically to establish the second and by that will we have been sanctified through the si- sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all over and over in Hebrews that phrase is repeated like once yeah. for all and and like the it basically what it's pointing to over and over is the finished final complete nothing's lacking nothing's missing work of Jesus this goes this goes right back to what we I've been talking about is that this is how you distinguish a cult from the truth of the gospel being proclaimed a cult what they're going to do is this is something that somebody pointed out that's a really good point is they in their doctrine they insinuate or or flat out communicate that jesus left something unfinished that he he his work was incomplete that that again if you want to know whether something's a cult or not look at that that goes back to first john where it talks about denying the son basically what you're doing is you're denying the work of the Son. You're denying the truth of what the Son, Jesus, accomplished. And so Hebrews, read through the book of Hebrews and see how many times, um, I'm saying this to you guys watching, read through it, see how many times that it's, when it talks about what Jesus did, his work on the cross, his the, the, the sanctification he brought, the redemption he brought, it's always described as something that was once for all. It was final. It was complete. It was, it's, it's, it's not needing to be added to. Um, and it goes back to Colossians 2, where it says we're complete in Christ. Okay, ask yourself that question. If I'm complete in Christ, what else do I need? Do I need something else? If, if I say I'm complete in Christ and you say, no, you also need mother, you also need Passover observance, right in that you're directly contradicting Colossians when it says I'm complete in Christ. If I'm complete, that means I'm without lack. If you tell me I need something other than Jesus, again, that's a distinguishing mark of a cult. That's that's at the core of what makes a cult a cult. So and I want to I want to point out also Unification Church. They um they do the, they do something similar. They say like you know Jesus didn't fulfill his mission when he was on this earth, and that's why um, Moon Sam Young he needs to. That's his job is to fulfill the mission of of mm. what Jesus 
fulfill. Yeah. Like, because there's, there's two ways, there's two different types of ways to define a cult. One is like, you know, just in the practices, like alone and like the amount of time and control the group has. But also it's like from a scriptural standpoint is like there's certain characteristics that they all kind of take on. And like you said, one of them is definitely, you know, saying Jesus didn't fulfill his mission. Mm-hmm. My new leader needs to, my new leader came to fulfill it. Yep, exactly. That Jesus left something undone. And so that brings me to one of the things I wanted to bring up is Hebrews 9. So what what verse was that exactly? Hebrews 9, where it talks about him bringing salvation. Um, oh, Hebrews 9.28. 9, 9.28. So, so it says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And so... They say, right, part of this argument is is how can we discern who the second coming Christ is, right? So kind of talk about that real quick and explain what they're, I know you've already said, but say it again so we can Mm -hmm. show how that's not true. So they say, like, Jesus already appeared once to take away the sins of many people. That's when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago. But here it says, but he will appear, right? Again, appear means we can see. So we will be able to see him when he comes a second time. And he's not going to bear sin, but he's coming with the purpose of bringing salvation. And they said, if Jesus brings sal- if Jesus brought salvation 2,000 years ago, then why does he need to come a second time to bring it if everything's good? Okay. So... Here's the question. What does it mean in Hebrews 9 when it says he will come a second time to uh, save those who are eagerly waiting for him? Is that what it says? Yeah. Yeah. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So let's find out what does the Bible tell us about what that means? What does it mean that Jesus is going to come again? So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I've, I've never heard them bring this up. Maybe they do. If they do, um, yeah, I'd be curious what they say about it. So First Thessalonians chapter 4. 4, and I'll start at verse 13. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it says, Paul writing to the Thessalonians, he says, um, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, basically those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, we believe that, okay, in other words, we believe that Jesus brought salvation for us. He dealt with sin. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, well, what coming? Oh, the second time he comes. We well, are, they, teach, they, they teach there's two comings of Christ in the last days. There's when Christ comes to bring okay. salvation, then he'll appear at a later time to for judgment. Okay. Well, that's not true. <laughs> the Bible never <laughs> no, just, <it's> okay. <laughs> so, so here's, I'm just going to read this just so you can see this, this yeah. is what the Bible means when it says he's going to come again and save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So will not precede those who have fallen asleep for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So Hebrews 9, 28, it says, he's going to come a second time, not to deal with sin, 
But to save those, we're eagerly waiting for him. Well, what are they waiting for? Are they waiting for him to yeah, bring that, back that, Passover? That's actually, a really, that's actually really another good point is yeah. because like they teach that he has to come to bring salvation because people, the reason why is because the, the way of truth, the Passover has been abolished for so many years. So if Passover, if Passover has been abolished, right, and people don't realize it, how are people going to be waiting for him? Yeah, right. So, but this is, these are, these are people who are waiting. That's for a good point. Salvation. Yeah. And then you, like what you show in here in, in first Thessalonians four, verse like 13 through 18, it shows that, you know, this is this, the church, if they were just to read these verses, they would say, Oh, this is talking about when Christ comes to judge the world. Right. 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 So, if, so by connecting this with Hebrews nine twenty eight, it's not talking about when Christ comes a second time to you know to like you know fulfill the mission of that he failed two thousand years right. ago. It's talking about for like Judgment Day. Yeah, he's coming to save the believers. He's coming, and by save, that doesn't mean bring the way of salvation. It means he's going to right. he, those who are saved. He's going to like finalize that salvation by right. bringing them out of the world. Right. And so that's an interesting it point. About, it says the, it says the, <laughs> the um, those who have fallen asleep, it says the dead in Christ will rise first. It's talking about resurrection. It's talking about resurrection, which we're yeah. going to look more at in Romans eight in a minute. But first you said something that's interesting. So you said he's going to come a second time to, to, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. So these people are eagerly waiting for Christ to come a second time. Well, like you said, if Passover was abolished, if nobody was in the truth till Aung Song Hong came back, well, there was nobody who was eagerly waiting for him. Right? And also nobody knew him before they were told about him. Yeah. So they weren't eagerly waiting for him. This is saying believers are like, when we see Jesus, it's going to be evident. As the lightning flashes from the east and the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. It's going to be clear. There's not going to be a doubt in people's minds. Right. And what he's coming, the salvation he's bringing, again, it's not saying Jesus left something undone. He mm -hmm. brought full redemption. What it means is, let's look at Romans 8. Mm-hmm. Romans 8, chapter, or chapter 8, verse 18. Okay. So Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from bondage, to corruption and obtain the freedom and the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies and this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he is, what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So there's several things in here. One thing is this truth that Paul's revealing is that these believers are saved. These are saved people. These are forgiven, right. redeemed, justified people. But it says for the for the hope of all that taking place, we are saved. Mm -hmm. right? so Which verse is that? Verse 24. 24. Because well, in my, in my, mine's worded a little differently. Okay, read that again. So verse 24, it says for, actually, can I read from verse 22? Yep, go ahead. So um, actually, I'll re sorry. Let me read from verse eighteen. Okay. Eighteen. I know you read the whole thing. Yep. But like, we'll, yeah. You know, bring clarity to it. Most familiar with the NIV yep, version. Yep. This was solely used. So okay. It says, um, "I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 
The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until this present time. The, not only so, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for, for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So it's saying that we are eagerly waiting for redemption, mm-hmm. right? And verse 24, for in this hope we were saved, hmm. right? What, who hopes in, who hopes for what has all who who hopes for what he already has so it says you know like it's talking about the last days we are saved it says it says for in this hope we were saved mm-hmm. so the, so what we're waiting so the salvation that's being wait or the people who are waiting for salvation in Hebrews 9 28 are those who are waiting for that the time when we will be redeemed, redeemed. And go to the kingdom of heaven yes which goes right along with that's not talking yeah that's not talking about like what the church says in that um that it's a second coming Christ will come and restore the truth. That's not right. what that that's not says. salvation that nine Hebrews yeah. nine is talking about the yeah. salvation he's talking about that goes right along, right? With, uh, was it first or second? It was first Thessalonians four, where these yeah. believers, Paul's encouraging them. Look guys, you have, and this, remember this is long before, like this is before you even believe that the Passover was abolished, but yet he's yeah. saying that the salvation that these believers were waiting for is the coming of the Lord who would raise them from the dead Romans 8 confirms that by saying the salvation, these people are already saved. They already have, they're already justified, but yet they're waiting for what? The redemption of their bodies. They're waiting for the resurrection for when, um, so it's, it's first John. Let me pull this up real quick. Um, three, two, it says, I'm going to read the, I'll read the NIV. Dear friends, he says, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. Well, what's he talking about here? He's talking about because because like like I mentioned with Hebrews nine twenty eight, it yep. says appear, right? Meaning you and I will see. So they use that to explain. Oh, you'll see him, so he'll be in the flesh. But here, you know, it's which it's, I agree with. By the yeah. way, when Jesus yeah. comes back, he's going to be in the flesh. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, okay. So then verse two, it says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made, but we will know that he appears. We When he appears, we shall see, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So mm-hmm. that's, why, that's why you can see these verses are related. They are. And yeah. so what's, what's, again, what, back then, what was the salvation that Paul, that the believers were looking forward to? Was it a salvation of Christ coming back again to restore a gospel that was lost? No, the salvation they were looking forward to was the redemption of their bodies. They were looking forward to Jesus coming back and to those who had trusted in him, who were children of God, they were now going to receive like the fullness of that was going to come. They were going to see him and they were going to be made like him, meaning the same resurrected glorified body that Jesus had when he resurrected, their bodies were going to become like his body. Um, and that's that's uh, 1 Corinthians 15, I think. <laughs> Where he says that. Um, oh, is it the part about the first fruits? Yeah. First Corinthians 15. 42? 20, 26, you said? Well, the one that talks about the first fruits is First Corinthians 15, verse 20. Verse 20, okay. 
So, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Well, you go, you read it in the NIV so people are familiar with it. It says, but Christ has been, has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so keep going, actually. Okay. For since, verse 21, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the, de- of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam... Sorry, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own turn, Christ the first first then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom of God to the Father after he, is, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. Keep going. Does that sound familiar? With, I mean, yeah. so again, what, what yeah. was Paul, what were the apostles telling the church to look forward to? What were they looking for? <clears throat> what was the salvation? according to like Hebrews 9 talks about the salvation that he was going to bring when he returned, when Christ returned. Well, the resurrection, it's the resurrection of the dead. Um, And so, yeah, verse 42, it says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown perishable, uh, what is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So again, this is 1 John 3, 2. When we see Jesus, the salvation he's going to bring, we're going to see him and our natural bodies are going to become spiritual bodies. Jesus resurrected and his natural body became a spiritual body. And so it will be with those who are eagerly waiting for him. What are they, what are we eagerly waiting for? Are we eagerly it's, waiting it's, for It's so, it's so funny that you, <laughs> you yeah. use this verse because I mean, when you read the context, like, yeah, it's clearly talking about like the time of resurrection. Right. right. But when first <laughs> Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, it says, so it is written. The first man, Adam became a living being, the last Adam, a life giving spirit. They use this verse to explain why, uh, that, um, to explain that when second coming Christ comes, he's going to, when he comes in the flesh to, you know, rest, you know, restore the truth, yeah. he'll come as the last Adam. Okay. But this verse, and they use this verse, but this verse is clearly talking about the time of resurrection, not. And it's talking uh, about Jesus. It's talking yeah, about, well, it's talking about, well, they, they say, yeah, it's talking about Jesus, but, but they say it's, it's talking about like, uh, specifically second coming Christ. Okay. And they say when second coming Christ comes, he's going to come as the last Adam and give us life and how he's going to give us life is through the Passover. They, so they, so again, the church teaches there's two different comings of Christ. Mm -hmm. There's Christ when he comes in the flesh to restore all the truth that was lost from the time of Jesus. And then he will appear at a later time for the time of resurrection or the time of judgment. And but this verse in this context is talking about the time of judgment. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's so like, I just think it's so. Oh, interesting. So you're saying they shouldn't be using this first because within the context, this is obviously, if there is three comings, this is the second coming. Okay. They really rely on us not reading the context. They really rely on that. It works. Because like some of these verses we use, but like the thing is, is like they're, they're used in different studies. So like in this particular study, which is called last Adam, right. They'll use that one verse, but they'll use the verses around it for, um, for a different study. Okay. And so it's like for the study called the soul exists. Okay. And so like, even though we read the verses, we don't read them together. Yeah, exactly. Read the context in which I definitely didn't read the, I mean, I read verse 20. I knew verse 20 because of the, the study about the, they use about the feast because they show that Jesus is the reality of the first, the first fruits offering, mm-hmm. but we don't read 21 through 42. Yeah. 
the specifically 21 through 25 right. that really lay out is talking well i mean above 12 it says resurrection yep. of the dead but i mean what, when you read the verses yeah. what that means is they're like the author paul when he was writing this he had a train of thought he had it he yeah. was like he was making an argument he and to make an argument you have establishing points and you build on those points and so that's that's why they can't they can't do that they can't it's called right. exeg it's like exegetical preaching and teaching. It's right. like where you take right. the Bible and you like verse by verse, line by right. line, precept upon precept. They can't do that because instead if they the do versus exegesis. It's yes, like you have, yeah. you have your it's instead of like letting the Bible tell you what it says, it's you have your own idea of what it needs to say and then you take scriptures. Exactly. To you have a preconceived idea of what you want the Bible to say, then you go and find verses that you can make it look that right. way and then you connect them which is why when they do their studies you will never see them say okay let's start at first corinthians chapter one let's see and we're going to read through this chapter we're going to get paul's thoughts you will never see them do that as far as i know what you will see them do is say okay let's let's start in the middle of this chapter let's pluck this verse out then let's jump let's start in the middle of the sentence <laughs> in, in the middle of the sentence yeah and like guys that's again cult cult tactic cult yeah. tactic is what that is um but yeah, it's just cool to see that connection, that this, the salvation. And finally, what I want to connect it to is 1 Corinthians one thirty. But so jump back to chapter one, the salvation again, clearly that people were eagerly waiting for is the resurrection. When Jesus comes and our natural bodies become like his spiritual body, they're waiting for the resurrection. And so again, the thing we pointed out that's significant is that you have people for the second coming eagerly waiting for the return of Christ. They're waiting for the return of second coming Christ. If the Passover, if the truth was abolished, nobody was waiting for him. Nobody was eagerly waiting for him. Nobody had any idea who he was, right. especially that it would be a Korean man. Um, right. and, and even if they knew it was going to be a Korean man, there was nobody in the truth to be eagerly waiting for him. Right. So that Hebrews 9 is just, I think, at this point demolished. But right. I want 1 Corinthians 1... Um, 30. Mm -hmm. So it says, and because of him, you are, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Here's three things. Righteousness. Jesus became for us righteousness, mm -hmm. sanctification, and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Man, there's so much in this. But what, what first I think of is Colossians 2. Again, we are complete in Christ. Here, he's going into detail about what that means. That means that Jesus Christ himself, the person of Jesus, not an observance of Passover or Sabbath or even baptism. You see, you go back a, a few verses in, um, in the chapter and you see Paul saying, so verse, verse 14 of verse 1, he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you so that no one may say you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus, beyond this, I do not know whether I baptize anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but oh, to preach my. the gospel, and not with words of eloquent, wis eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. If yeah. baptism is required for salvation, then why did Paul just separate baptism from the gospel and say, yeah. Christ didn't send me to yeah. preach it? Yeah, because the church has a study, be baptized immediately, saying baptism is the first step in our life of faith. Yeah. And unless we are baptized... We cannot be saved because they, they show like that verse in Proverbs that says, you know, 
do not boast about tomorrow. We don't know that if, you know, I don't know yeah. tonight if I walk down the street, am I going to get hit by a car, right. right? That's why I need to get baptized immediately. But that verse, first, I, I want to point that out for the do people it. watching. Yeah. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, NIV, Read it, it says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, let the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Apostle Paul Apostle Paul said, Christ did not send me to baptize. Yeah, but to preach the gospel. He's contrasting baptism with the gospel. Yeah. You've never seen that before, huh? No, no, I have not. <laughs> they probably didn't want you to see that. Yeah. One, we use only First Corinthians yeah. one verse two. Yep. It says the, ch the church name is Church of God. Yep. And so, <laughs> guys, like with that, like I'm... I am not saying don't be baptized, like be baptized right. in the name of Jesus, but you got to get the order right. And this goes back to Romans four, where it says circumcision, which to, to um, I think I would even agree with in many ways. Baptism is, is kind of the modern day form of circumcision. It says about Abraham, Abraham was circumcised as a sign of the righteousness that he already had by faith. This is Romans four. And the church agrees with that standpoint that baptism is like kind of like the reality of, of circumcision. circumcision. Yeah. But here Paul's saying baptism, you don't have to first be baptized and then subsequently you're justified or first be baptized and then you're saved. Then God forgives you or, or fill in the blank. And you're actually saved before you're even baptized. Yes. And Paul's yeah. taking it to the extent of saying baptism is not the gospel. Like he didn't send me to baptized, but to preach the gospel. So again, I'm not saying don't be baptized. If you're a follower of Jesus, the way to display that, you're, you're, it's a sign of the righteousness you have to be baptized and you're showing, I'm saved already. Like this is just a sign that I'm in with Jesus. Like I, I'm following him and I'm just making this public declaration. And it's the same thing as Abraham. He received circumcision as a sign of the righteousness that you have. Baptism is you publicly giving a sign to the world that you have been transformed and saved by Jesus and you're God's child. It doesn't make you a child of God. It doesn't make you justified. It's just a, it's just a sign showing that you already are. And that's, the, that's not me. That's the Bible. That's Romans 4, the description of Paul or Abraham and circumcision. So all that, jumping back again, what I, uh, the reason I brought that up is to bring you back to Colossians 2. We're complete in Christ. We're not complete in Christ plus baptism. We're not complete in Christ plus Passover. We're not complete in Christ plus mother plus Zongil Jaw. Right. If it's Christ plus, again, that's a cult tactic. We're complete, that's, in, just we're complete in Christ. Okay. If you're complete in something, what's left? What do you need? You don't because you're complete. You don't because you're complete. Okay. That's what he's, and he's going into detail here saying what that means. He says, Jesus alone, the person of Jesus is our wisdom. He's our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. What does this mean? Well, this means Jesus, when we begin salvation, we receive him by faith. God counts us righteous. That's the beginning. Then what happens? Well, we continue on in faith and like Colossians says, just as you receive Christ as Lord, so walk in him. So we're justified. We're already children of God. But then Jesus also is our sanctification. Well, what's sanctification? Sanctification is that process by which God makes us holy. It's that sanctification where we're already righteous. God already fully embraces us as his children. But now he begins to work out in us that salvation. He begins to make us 
out in practicality who he's already made us positionally. So in position, I'm righteous. But then by faith, I continue to walk out my relationship with God and God begins to make me what he already counts me as. He begins to sanctify me and change the way I think, change my attitude, make me more loving, all these things. That is sanctification. It says Jesus is both righteousness and sanctification. Now, the world and society says, no, you get in maybe by faith and grace, but then your sanctification, you're being made holy depending on your works. Well, this blows that out of the water and says, no, Jesus, it's Jesus. It's me having a living, active relationship with Jesus. And that relationship changes my heart Mm -hmm. further than that. And here's what kind of ties this all together. So he's the beginning righteousness. He's the middle sanctification and he's the end redemption. Redemption. This goes back to Romans eight, verse 23. So we ourselves who had the first fruits of the spirit, well, what does that mean? The first fruits of the spirit. That means God has given us his spirit, the seal of his approval, which is Ephesians one and all the verses we talked about last time, which God, it's God's way of saying you're righteous. You're already good. Like you're, you don't have to worry about hell. Like you're saved, you're secure. So we have that, we have that seal. We had the first fruits of the spirit, but what happens if we have the first fruits of the spirit, if we're counted righteous? Well, we groan inwardly because we see man, there's still so many issues in my heart and there's so many issues around me. And so we're groaning, we're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Mm -hmm. Jesus is our redemption. So you see that Jesus is every stage. You have this timeline of the Christian walk, the Christian life. Jesus is every stage. He's our righteousness. He's the beginning of it. And even before that, it says he's our wisdom. Well, what's, what's the significance of wisdom? Well, because it's the wise person who fears the Lord and chooses to believe in him. It's the wise person who humbles their heart and is even able to enter into that relationship. So he's the pre, and then he's the righteousness. He's that beginning stage of our relationship with God. He's the middle. He's our sanctification. It's Jesus and faith in him that brings us into a place of holiness. And then finally, he's our redemption. He, it, it's by faith in him alone that we're waiting for redemption. It's like, I don't, I'm not going to walk out of this room today and say, man, I can feel confident for Jesus coming back again because I'm keeping Passover and I'm keeping the Sabbath. And I know I'm going to, it's no, it's not that it's because Jesus is my redemption, Jesus. And what he, it's his resume guys, it's this, the gospel is about Jesus's resume being brought to the father, not my resume. Right. Okay. And so Jesus is all of these things. Which ends with, he says, so let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The salvation of Hebrews 9, Mm -hmm. that it says Jesus is going to appear the first time he came to deal with sin. The second time he's not coming to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. What are we eagerly waiting for? This is talking about those who have been counted righteous. They're being sanctified and they're waiting for the redemption of their bodies. Right. Right. So yeah. what, what are your thoughts on all that? <laughs> yeah. Think that answers yeah. it all? That answers the David prophecy? Yeah, I think that, that yeah, all of the above. I yeah. mean, like, because, like, I mean, you know, I, I, I have no rebuttal for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have no rebuttal for that. And, you know, and. Other just, than to say I'm a false prophet yeah. and I'm blind and I don't see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's the only rebuttal. Yeah. Yep. Okay, cool. <laughs> Well, yeah. I think I think I feel pretty good about leaving it there. I think um, I think it's going to be really good. Yeah, it's going to be really good for the members to. That's why I kind of try to um, like uh, 
reread the verse and explain it a little bit because the some of the some points are really going to stand out to them. Yes, and I so, love that, and I I think. Uh, th- basically what we're doing here is we're sitting down and having a Bible study, which is awesome yeah. to me. Yeah. I'm, I'm underlining the words. Yeah. Telling yeah. Me, so. <laughs> and I, I think it'd be cool to do, you know, whatever, as we're getting questions, like, I feel like what almost needs to happen is like, as you're getting questions, it's like, oh man, we didn't really, we haven't answered this well. Like to just say, Hey, let's, let's do a call and let's, let's do a Bible study real quick about yeah. this. And let's just walk through this. So people, because people who are struggling with it, they need to see it kind of laid out this way, I think, they for did. them to know, okay, there is an answer for this. So it's, 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 like I said, it's not until like recently that I can like read the Bible and like, you know, feel good about it and yep. not feel, again, I hate the word triggered, but you know. <laughs> well, it is. Yeah, it's a trick. Well, because it, it really is because it's like, you know, it's just all these bad memories. Yeah. All these bad memories. And I'll reread something and, I, and maybe I won't understand why it's wrong. Right. And then I'll be like, oh, I am going to go to hell. Yeah. You know? But I'm at the point where I'm like, I don't care. Like, yep. whatever they say, you know, because like, if, if, if hell, if, if heaven is like the World Mission Society Church of God, God, I don't want to go there. Yeah. So you know, there you go. Yeah. But now, but now I now I can I I I'm at the point where I can read the Bible. That's and awesome. Like, actually, like you yeah. know, feel something good about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. that's great. I just yeah, the Lord has a purpose in all of all of that. Even the lost, what seems like lost years within that group, He says He works all things together for good for the sake of those who love Him. And so as you continue seeking Him you're displaying like, I, I believe you are who you say you are, but sometimes I struggle knowing what that is and how to find that and like what your Bible, but like the one who, again, going back to the wisdom of first Corinthians, it's the wise person who, who looks at Jesus and sees there's something about this man that even with all like the, the, the nasty lies and deceit that the world and society has kind of painted around this person of Jesus, like, there's something there that I think all you guys who have been in the church, you've seen, you've like seen there's something profound about the Bible, but it's just been taught to you in we a wrong the way. We the church because we wanted to, you know, we wanted to believe in God. We wanted exactly. to go to the kingdom of heaven. Like, well, that's why we joined, the, nobody joined the church just to have a good time. Yeah, we, or because we they were like, hey, I want to go out and join a cult and deceive people. Yeah, like, nobody, nobody yeah. joins it for that. And that's why, you know, even the members, like the current members, they might leave like some nasty comments and whatnot. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, they're still, you know, they're under that influence. Yep. And, you know, I understand them saying what they say I get it too yeah. they don't they don't realize they're under the influence one day when they're finally tired with it they will they will and then they will they will come back to these videos and then these videos will help them and yep. that's what that's what keeps me going is that you know these videos I give up 10 years of my life you know mm-hmm. I 10 years and that's like the those are the good years like the 18 is like 28 those yeah, are good yeah. years yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, I gave all that up for the, the church I even I mean I finished my college education but you know I majored in Korean Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So like I, I gave up like, you know, essentially my education too for the church. Yes. And so, you know, if 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 I can help one person not lose the same opportunities that I did, mm-hmm. then you know, I think everything I went through would, would be would be justified and yep. you know, and maybe like through all this, maybe now I can have a, you know, a stronger relationship with God. And I believe you know? absolutely you can and, and mm-hmm. I would just say to you as an encouragement, I think you will. I think I see you on that path already. Um, mm-hmm. and so and I think yeah, just knowing you know, it's back to the story of the blind man in the Gospel of John where they said, Who's saying this man 
or his parents that he was born blind. And Jesus said, neither. But this happened, this terrible, confusing situation that seemed unfair to this blind guy. It happened for the glory of God. So God has a purpose, just like he did in the story of Job. He has a purpose for all you guys who had years that Satan basically stole away in his deception, that he he's already using you to bring you out. And, and just like Joseph, where Joseph was sitting in prison and mistreated, but then he brought Joseph out and establish him in a place of authority to help others. And so like, he's already doing that with you, um, which is awesome. And so, yeah, I just, I'm just so appreciative that you're willing to do this. And it's so, yeah, yeah. And, and again, I think as you come across these things, like where you're like, oh, what about that scripture? Like, or you're having members like, yeah, I'll go to you guys. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, this is fun. So just we can have Bible studies and we can, you yeah. know, as these guys are going into their church having Bible studies, hopefully they'll yeah. we'll come out and you can join our Bible study. So Yeah, there you go. <laughs>